Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include why you should be wary of interest rate predictions, my interview with the Stratmore Group's Garth Graham on if industry forecasts for a better market should lead to industry optimism, and at what point will markets learn not to fight the Fed? Thanks to the Stratmore Group, the data-driven mortgage advisory. At Stratmore, insights and knowledge are applied to guide mortgage clients to make sound strategic decisions and take actions that improve their success. To learn more, visit stratmoregroup.com. The interest rate markets have a way of humbling almost all the experts, and the very first thing you learn in secondary marketing is that you shouldn't take a view on where rates are headed because half the time you're wrong anyway. In the fourth quarter of 2022, the armchair prognosticators were predicting that we'd see rates come down by the end of 2023. After reaching a peak in October, treasury rates did come down to where they were at the beginning of the year, but mortgage rates were well into the 7% range. The Federal Reserve, in its attempt to control inflation and cool a very strong economy, raised the Fed funds rate range several times throughout the year. However, we heard inside the world of mortgage banking, opinions expressed that rates will not only come down, but when to expect that to happen. Based upon what data, one should ask, are their views speculative, biased, or just hopeful? I would challenge these prognosticators as to the reason why mortgage rates are positioned to fall. What leads them to predict that? I'm sure some opinions are based on fundamentals. The Fed raises rates to control inflation, money is taken out of the economy, the economy cools, the Fed cuts rates, and mortgages come down to some predicted level. A lot of the predictions I see are not rooted in actuality, but rather rooted in exuberance for mortgage banking. In the summer of last year, little of the macro data even hinted at a reduction of short-term interest rates. Inflation, which has been grinding lower, was a tad north of 4%, with the Federal Reserve's target set at 2%. Economists have modeled that unemployment would need to reach as high as 7% in order for inflation to come down to 2%. Not a pretty picture. Remember, when an economy slows, jobs are not created. Historically, they're lost. The Fed was relatively hawkish in its monetary policy for the entirety of 2023, right up until the end. Anyone predicting where interest rates will be in the future would need to start by predicting where the federal funds rate needs to be in order to see inflation that's appealing to the Fed. But then ultimately, how long rates need to remain there? When is it warranted to reduce borrowing rates under recessionary fears? These are two almost impossible questions to answer since the number of variables that you need to get right, coupled with unpredictable world events, play such a strong role in forecasting interest rates. A year from now, rates will either be higher, lower, or the same. So focus on your products and services. For today's interview, I want to welcome back onto the show Stratmore Group's Garth Graham to talk about if industry forecasts for a better market should lead to industry optimism. A little ironic considering what I just said about interest rate predictions. 
He's over 25 years of experience in sales and marketing, ranging from Fortune 500 companies to successful startups, including management of two of the most successful e-commerce platforms, and was one of the original founders of Mortgage.com. You know, industry forecasts right now are for a better market, but a year ago, people were predicting a recession and <laughs> pain in the stock market, and that didn't quite come to fruition. So uh, are you taking these industry forecasts, these optimistic industry forecasts with a grain of salt? Are you on board? How do you view it? Where do you come down? For literally for a year and a half, ever since the interest rates really did that big run up in June of last year, or June of 2022, rather, um, people have been forecasting that the market was going to get better. The problem is when was the market going to get better? And I do think in December, we got a sign from the Fed that they're going to start to um, you know, not continue to raise interest rates. So it isn't going to get worse, but it is going to take quite a while, I think, at least a couple quarters for it to get much better. I also think that those lenders who are looking at the industry forecast need to understand that it will be an unfair advantage depending on the type of lender they are. In other words, not every lender is going to go up 20% in the second half of next year just because there's a forecast that the overall industry is going to go up 20%. My dad will categorically tell me that nobody has a crystal ball and stay away from forecasts. Do you ascribe to that philosophy or are, are you, you enjoy reading people's forecasts and maybe snickering at them later? Do you enjoy making forecasts? What's your general thought in the area? Yeah, well, I think that the uh, the interesting thing on the forecast, and there's is a joke, and I may have actually even used this joke, Robbie, on one of your podcasts. So this is a repeat. So it's like HBO, limited material, frequently repeated. But my the comment I make on economic forecast is God invented economists to make weathermen look good. So the point here is it is very difficult to forecast the timing, especially. And when you're in the industry, you think kind of micro, like how is this going to impact me or what's in it for me? Not macro, meaning the market will get better probably towards the second half of next year. And I do believe because we finally have seen the Fed begin to shift that it will come to fruition. Having said that, and I think I just sort of commented, and I'll go ahead and riff on this comment now, um, it will be an unfair advantage depending on the type of lender you are. We're continuing to talk, and I'll give you several examples. We're continuing talking to lenders who say, okay, I think in the second half of next year, the market will get 20% better. That's the industry forecast. So if I was 20% better at 20% of my units, I'm suddenly making money. And you may, this same lender, you know, ascribing this sort of theory is the one that may have been losing money for the last six quarters in a row which is pretty painful and frankly, you know, an existential threat with your counterparties, warehouse lenders and the agencies when you're continually losing money. The problem with the theory that the 20% is going to be ascribed like spread like peanut butter among all the mortgage bankers out there is the factor of servicing. And for the last year, the majority of independent mortgage bankers have not been retaining servicing. They have been selling the servicing for obvious reasons to raise cash, um, meaning I'd rather have the cash today to fuel my, you know, the, the difficult market climate than book my servicing as an MSR. However, there's 
the aggregators in our business, the correspondent buyers on the other side of that trade have been buying up the servicing aggressively. And that's really the big four correspondent purchasers. That's Amerihome, that's Penny Mac, that's Freedom, um, that's Planet Home Lending. So they are buying up the servicing and partially the economics for them is because they will or confident they will be able to retain that customer or recapture that customer when the refis kick in. So if you look at the industry forecast, it's a 20% increase, mostly based on an increase in refinances, rate and term refinance in the second half of the year. And those rate and term refinances, though, are not going to go to spread evenly amongst all independent mortgage bankers. A lot of them are going to go to those aggregators who currently own that servicing, who have a significant recapture unit. They have a significant marketing plans designed for these customers, and they're going to be very aggressive in pricing those recapture opportunities in order to you know, protect the servicing that they invested in during this downturn. Well, if the big four are snatching up most of the servicing, can you give some reasons for optimism for uh, maybe the other, you know, <laughs> couple thousand yeah. reportees out there? Yeah. Well, I do think, first of all, there will be some release uh, in, of the pressure on margins. It will not be overnight. But as lenders begin to have more servicing oppor- recapture opportunities, let's say the the, re- the refinance business goes to roughly 20% of the market from, you know, rate and term refinance from sub 10% right now. So twice as many refinance opportunities, which makes sense. Um, that will enable lenders to begin to move up their margin, which will, uh, you know, rising tide will lift all boats a little. I don't think that the lenders should assume that they're going to get a lot of refinances of their own book, because I think those servicing guys will go after it. I mean, they're certainly not going to get every one of the customers they originated back. However, as you talked with um, my colleague, Mike Seminari, those lenders who have focused on providing an extraordinary customer experience, I think this is one of the other podcasts that we did with you, um, they do deserve the right to get some of those customers back. So perhaps there's optimism there, but you're not going to get them all back. It's not going to get the full 20% lift. So number one, I think there'll be some release on margin pressure. The second issue is, this is another industry statistic, 80% of the volume is being done by roughly 40% of the originators. So I do think the good originators who've done a good job with their book of business will likely become more productive because they always do when the market gets better. They may get an incremental transaction or two every month. So instead of doing, you know, four, five, six loans a month, they may get to seven or eight loans a month. So those types of lenders who've invested in providing a great customer service will deserve the right to get some share of the refinance. I just don't think they're going to get, you know, the full 20% lift that the industry may get overall. Well, this is good news for the A students or maybe the A minus students, but give us some hope for the rest of us uh, laymen out there that that middle along and hope for a, a B minus or a B. Somewhat. No. Uh, what, what about the rest of the industry? There's a lot of other people that maybe haven't had the best practices so far. And sure, they're trying to put those into effect. But uh, what, can you give us some tidbits for the rest of the industry here? Yeah. So I, I think the other thing that lenders can do 
is right now take a real solid look at how they're going to generate recapture opportunities and how they're going to do recapture opportunities includes the people, process, and technology in order to be efficient and effective in generating those. And the reason I point this out is that, number one, you probably now should seriously consider making adjustments to compensation that will enable you to be even more competitive on your rate and term refinance opportunities as they come up. Not by the way, I always remind people, I started as a loan officer, so I'm not just a consultant who can sit there and opine about things like cutting compensation for salespeople without me knowing what that means to the salesperson. So having said that disclaimer, before everybody gets out their pitchforks and comes after me, I would say having a compensation plan that recognizes that you pay less on a refinance than a purchase is one good strategy because it will be able to ultimately flow into your pricing if you really need to be sharp to compete with the aggregators. The second issue is you need to have the tools necessary to go after these customers on these nurtures, long nurtures, or, or the short refinance opportunities. So if somebody is in the market on getting their next loan, you need to be there on a marketing campaign that's highly effective. You need to have the CRM. You need to have the automated marketing. You need to have the triggers, which, by the way, is getting very, very difficult with some of the credit changes in these credit reporting agencies' costs. All of that should be designed now. If you wait until, let's just say, July 1st, the clouds part, and interest rates start to drop, and suddenly there's refis, that is not the time to plan how you're going to get your share of refis is by waiting around until it happens. You really should be focused on designing the processes and the technology and perhaps even considering the difficult things like let's change compensation in order to do that. So it doesn't mean that the independent mortgage bank or the small IMB that doesn't have the servicing is, is not going to be you know, a potential player. The other item here, and we are seeing this, and this is my cautionary note, if you don't have any of those tools and you are concerned about the future, it may be the time to take a good hard look at whether you should be working for lenders or if you own a mortgage company, ought to potentially consider exiting to lenders who offer those types of tools because that's the sort of market we're heading into. So, you know, sorry if I've got two things that are kind of painful to hear, but I want to be direct about it is, you know, whether it's a loan officer or you own your own company, you really got to say, hey, look, do I have what it takes to succeed as the market gets better or should I consider my alternatives? No, I think a little pain now is better than a lot of pain later. So I appreciate you sharing those. I want to close by talking about Stratmore briefly. And yeah. some people may know Stratmore from the MBA and Stratmore peer group roundtable. Some people may know Stratmore from the Stratmore Technology Insight Study. How have you seen Stratmore evolve and grow as you've been there? And what are you really proud of when it comes uh, to the, the group? Yeah, I, I think the biggest piece is, number one, we are 100% mortgage bankers and we're a mortgage banking consulting firm. We speak mortgage banking language. We understand the business. We're all mortgage bankers. That, that comes with a natural technical skill as well as some empathy for what exactly is happening in the market. And we hope that comes across with the clients we talk to. We really are about giving people the data and insights necessary to make the right strategic decisions and then implement those strategies. So that's really what informs everything that we do. 
And um, that includes the peer group roundtables, as you as you already noted. It includes people, lenders considering whether to enter or exit particular channels, how to optimize their performance in a particular channel, how to benchmark themselves in a very detailed or customized way. How do I compete with my peers? How to look at their strategy and how competitive they are. Um, we do technology work. That technology work is on behalf of lenders, but it's always informed by data. And we also work with vendors as well. So vendors trying to enter the space, vendors who are very established, and they work with us to, to you know, have some sort of insights from the aggregated data, as well as all the feedback that we get from the industry participants about the various vendor services that are available in the market. So we're proud of the fact that we base everything in data and that at our core, we're mortgage bankers. And, uh, you know, we feel the pain of the mortgage bankers and we're trying to help them, uh, you know, survive in this sort of climate and then thrive when the market ultimately turns. Very well put. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. Uh, I enjoyed it as always. No problem, Robbie. And just the one comment I just want to say, at every single podcast we do, it is after a seminal event in my life. The first one I ever did with you was after yet another Bruce Springsteen concert. The last one I did with you was after yet another Pink concert, two of my favorite performers. And this week, and I'm sorry if this gives you some sort of PTSD, it is after Michigan won the Rose Bowl and is going to the national championship. That is when we're recording it. And I know that you went to the University of Texas, Robbie, so I was hoping we could have a mano a mano at the national championship. But I will represent Texas's interest as well and see if we can beat Washington for you. Hey, I'm happy anytime Alabama loses. And I should let the public know. I got into the University of Texas, the University of Michigan, and the University of Washington, and those are my three final schools I was deciding between. I just figured the weather in Austin was a little better than Seattle or Ann Arbor, so I don't, I don't regret I, it. But. Robbie, I had no idea that you chose so carelessly in your selection of college. I, I, was, never, I was never meant to be a Michigan man. You know that. All right. That, that, that changes everything. You could be at our tailgate. We could be doing we could do being podcasts on Saturday mornings before Michigan games. So yeah, who needs college game day when you have Garth and Robert from the the tailgate? You got it. Yeah, exactly. All right, I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, talk to you soon. All right, bye. Turning to interest rates, what's that you say? Markets have gotten ahead of the Fed again. Gasp. <laughs> yes, markets aren't looking all that cheerful in the new year. I don't put much opinion in here, but I'd say that it's because of investors' own doing. The added potential for interest rates to stay high for some time is forcing investors to continue to unwind optimistic trades placed in late 2023. The Federal Reserve's policymakers poured water on predictions of early 2024 interest rate cuts yesterday, revealed the minutes from the most recent Federal Open Market Committee meeting, with several voting members seeing the potential for the Fed funds rate range to stay at a peak level for longer than the market expects. Policymakers did acknowledge that we are probably at the peak of rates and that projections show cuts by year-end. Richmond Fed President Barkin cautioned that the potential for more rate hikes remains alive, called the soft landing increasingly conceivable but in no way inevitable, and added that any decision on a March cut is a long way away. Staff projections point to rate cuts by the end of 2024, but officials do not seem to be supportive of a series of cuts at this time. The minutes from the Federal Open Market Committee meeting hinted at 
hard landing concerns amongst board members while recognizing that they could face a trade-off between its dual mandate goals in the period ahead. Fortunately, there were more indications of optimism about inflation, which is supported by the latest jobs data showing cooling. U.S. job openings fell in November to 8.79 million, the lowest since early 2021 as fewer workers voluntarily quit, and the number of hires fell. People who voluntarily left their jobs as a share of total employment fell to the lowest point since September 2020, signifying that Americans are feeling less confident in their ability to find new jobs or better paying jobs in the current environment. Separately, we also learned yesterday that the December ISM manufacturing PMI indicated an ongoing contraction in the manufacturing sector, but at a slower pace than the previous month. December marked the 14th straight month. The PMI reading has been in contractionary territory. The report was not devoid of good market news, as the prices index reflected a further easing of inflation pressures. Today's calendar sees some early labor market indicators ahead of tomorrow's payrolls report. Markets have already received December job cuts from Challenger, Gray, and Christmas. In at 34,817 cuts in December, down 24% from the 45,510 cuts announced in November. We've also received ADP employment for November and at 164,000, higher than expected. And initial and continued jobless claims in at 202,000, down from 218,000, and 1.855 million, respectively. Later today brings the final of December S&P Global Services PMI, Treasury announcing the details of next week's mini-refunding consisting of $52 billion of three-year notes, $37 billion of reopened 10-year notes, and $21 billion of 30-year bonds, and Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse than eighth to a quarter, the 10-year yielding 3.98 after closing yesterday at 3.91%, and the two-year at 4.36 after a spate of employment data. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. An amnesiac walks into a bar. He goes up to a beautiful young woman and says, So, do I come here often? (laughs) Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, the Stratmore Group, the data-driven mortgage advisory. At Stratmore, insights and knowledge are applied to guide mortgage clients to make sound strategic decisions and take actions that improve their success. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, Search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcasts from.